0: When I was a kid, I really wanted a quad when I was like 10, let's say, but I didn't have one, but my grandma had a riding mower and she actually taught me how to mow. That was the first lawn mowing I had ever done. I hadn't, I didn't do a push mower, um, to start with, but she let me drive her riding mower and mow that. And I absolutely loved it primarily because I was just visualizing and imagining that I was driving like a quad the whole time. And, uh, but it didn't take very long before I, I really enjoyed the mowing just for the sake of mowing, and if you've done this much, you understand. But it's a, it's a great smell. If you're smelling that cut grass. It's really satisfying getting these like you know nice clean um, trim lawns looking just so so tidy, and uh, and on a riding mower, it's not it's not a ton of exertion. You're just riding the mower, and push mowers and and other types of landscaping are just as fun for the opposite reason sometimes the exertion and the work feels really good and running a weed eater and pushing a mower and having a beautiful lawn to showcase when you're done is is really satisfying so i like landscaping i like mowing yards i like yard work all of it in fact on saturdays generally speaking that's what i like to do is just stay home and work on the yard you know in the season when the when it's that time of year I don't know a ton about it. There's, I've, I've watched YouTube. There's a lot of guys sharing tips on how to get better grass and all that. So I'm not an expert. I'm just a hobbyist. I started doing lawn work and paying attention to my yard when I bought my first house and had to buy a mower. And I started going to the store, Mopower, to get tools and equipment and rent machines when I needed to, um, you know do specialty tasks in the yard, like aerating it, or I rented a stump grinder once. And this store, Mopower, I always loved it. It was tiny, it was always packed, like just tons of, tons of people in there. And the parking lot was really small, but you could tell it was mostly, at least in my mind, mostly pros, or at least there was a lot of pros there. This is the place the pros went to get their saws and mowers sharpened and maintained to buy new equipment. It was, it was really cool, and uh, I, I love the store um, just for all of these reasons. I like work. I like uh, and admire these craftsmen and these people who really are working hard every day. I'm not saying I wanted to trade them places, but I was saying when I would see them at Mo Power, I'd kind of salute. Also, the store was right on in, in Arizona. It was right on the road that led to the dump where landscapers go to unload all the trailer, all their, um, clippings and grass and brush and stuff. So it's super convenient because they could basically on the way to the dump, drop off their material or their machines or whatever, or pick things up. And um, it made a ton of sense. I love that aspect of it as well. Just like a perfect example of, um, a great location for a great business. Most people just drive right past and wouldn't think about it, but you know, like if you like mowing and you're interested in all of this, you 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 probably paid attention if you were in Mesa, Arizona. Now, if you're just listening to this on your phone in a podcast, um, you're missing some footage that I took in when I was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago of the new Mopower location. It's amazing. It's kind of a whole story in and of itself of how of this um new store and and, and there's more to it, which maybe you'll hear in this interview. But the the interview we're building towards here is with Todd Taylor who started Mopower. That's this store I mentioned, and he still runs it. They've got a brand new, location. It's not brand new. It's been open a couple years, but as he will explain, they opened in the middle of the of the pandemic. And so he doesn't feel like they've really had a chance to stretch their wings yet. And I'm sure he's right. But it is a beautiful store and it's fun. It was fun for me just to go in there and look around. I didn't even buy anything, but I like seeing all these clean mowers, weed eaters, chainsaws, all of it. Really beautiful. So if you're just listening and you enjoy the interview go back to youtube there's some cool footage that will give you context about the location so our interview today is with todd taylor who started mo power and has grown it from simply a small engine repair and sharpening service to what it is today he's a great guy if you like landscaping if you like small business and if you like seeing some if you like hearing the story of someone's career kind of unroll over the decades you'll like this we also talk about equipment a bit as well about his two cents on electric versus gas and where the industry is going and what's it like, what it's like kind of being a dealer and working with some of these big more corporate entities like uh, echo and still so uh, without any further ado todd taylor from mo power First off, thank you for taking the time out of your day. It looks like you're in the shop, so you probably got a lot of things um, happening. But thanks for joining us. I got a big list of questions here, and we'll get to kind of the uh, MoPower and how it came to be and all that. But I, I kind of want to talk about equipment um, first of all because it seems like the newest equipment, batteries, electric, all of these things are getting like are showing up more and more. So. Can you speak to that a little bit? Is that really the future for um, you know uh, landscape tools and equipment, or is that always going to be kind of just like a homeowner convenience feature?
1: Well, that's a time will tell situation, but for the most part, I think, yes, you're, I think the homeowners, um, for the, for the average person that's got a small, you know, lawn in the front and the back, I think battery equipment is, is the way the industry is going for sure. That's where we're seeing all of our, all of our even main gas manufacturers putting a lot of their energies, um, such as steel, a lot of their focus is on battery because they see that coming. Um, you know, a lot of Governments and stuff are, are making uh, governments, uh, cities, yeah, um, and municipalities are making their their landscapers go to electric. So it's it's definitely coming. We're seeing the changes in the industry. Emissions are getting much more difficult to meet for the gas um, the gas manufacturers. Um, they, these units are running on about a quarter of the fuel that they did 20 years ago just to really? meet emissions. So they run, they run harder, they run, yes, they're oh. there. And, and so it's, it's kind of crazy where it's going, but to answer your question, yes, I think, I think a gas powered lawnmower and weed eater in a small homeowner setting will be a rare thing in another 10 years.
0: So speaking about the change in the, in the, what you mentioned about, um, fuel consumption I know with vehicles, a lot of mechanics will say like, you know, 20 years ago, the cars were better. They could be fixed and yada, yada, yada. Is that, is that true with weed eaters and lawnmowers as well? Were the mowers and weed eat, let's say the gas ones from 20 years ago, uh, better in, in a lot of ways. In other words, had these emission requirements degraded the, maybe not quality, but which ones do you prefer? Um, I think the equipment of of 20 years ago ran cooler because of
1: the fuel. It didn't have all the regulations put on it. So I think it was more durable. Uh, Hmm. Fuel that we run now has got ethanol in it. It breaks down fuel. It oxidizes it really quick, which leaves a varnish residue. And so when all of your fuel is going through a little tiny orifice to feed the machine, now that it's a quarter of the size that it mm-hmm. used to be, it plugs up that much faster. So yeah, the, uh, the, the equipment of years past were definitely at least perceived as more reliable because people didn't have the fuel things. Now, if you're good with your fuel and that kind of thing, they, they still hold up really well. And the manufacturers do the best they can to, to meet, to keep everybody happy.
0: Are so. are there like weed eaters or chainsaws from, let's say the nineties that are still desirable, um, maybe for this reason, but they were Maybe that was like as good as it gets in terms of a, a quality, long-lasting tool. Um, don't see
1: it so much with weed eaters, but you do see that with some of the some of the select products, um, uh, like lawn mowers. Uh, sensation mowers are a good example. They're the old brick lawn mower that you could drop out of your car going down the freeway and still mow the next lawn with it because they were so durable. Some of those uh-huh. are still still followed. Some of the the backpack blowers um, are are still hot that you can get so there are certain items that that landscapers especially look for that huh. are that way
0: i think i've seen those sensation mowers they're really different looking what what's the appeal there is it because the motors can't be like that much better and I'm, I'm sure no. they replace those What what's the appeal of those old of those old things Because so they're also not self-propelled it, right
1: no no they're they're super it's just a great big aluminum solid deck, and there 's nothing really to break on it. You have big eight inch uh, metal wheels on it with just bolts going through huh. and um, so no, as far as convenience they're not they're, they're not most people wouldn't consider them desirable, but just for their simple durability, you just huh. can't kill them um, but yeah the uh the uh, the one of the appeals is they used to have a flip handle. So when you got to the end of your row, you just flip the handle over and mow with it facing the other way. So you didn't oh. have to turn it around at each end. So a lot of the guys liked them for that.
0: Oh, but, that makes sense. And uh, I guess, I guess for yeah. the pros who are like dragging it in and out of a trailer, let's say like eight times a day that, you know, like you said, those, those wheels and that frame is a, is a real bonus. Cause they, they would, those would be wear points that would wear out on a, on a cheaper mower for a, for a professional. I take it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, you do replace, just like you said, you replace the engines, but the guys just keep, keep replacing engines on them yeah. and they like them. But the, the new mowers now have all the height adjustments. They've yeah. got self propelled, they're lighter. So we are seeing those being less in demand than they used to be. I see. Um, when they first made the change, but, um, there, there's still several things that fall into that category.
0: Do you guys, work on old mowers like that for people who are wanting to, you know, restore something back to its former glory, you know, maybe like grandpa's mower, or is that just somebody's, that should be a hobby and left there, or do those things ever come into your shop for, you know, work? Absolutely.
1: Um, a lot of people, normally it's not because it's cost effective to do normally there's sentimental value to it. I used to go yeah. out and chop chop wood with my grandpa with the saw. I yeah. want to still be able to use it, that kind of thing. So, cost, you know, it, it's not normally cost effective to do that. But we do get a lot of people that do that because they really like either like the machine or it's got sentimental
0: value. Isn't that wild? How tools and, and anything really can get this sentimental val- value that's it's just real. It's the only way to put it. Especially like motors, because in addition to being useful and like the feel of it, which you remember, but even like the sound you know of a mower or a chainsaw or something is you can almost like my dad saw like I, I know that saw from you know a mile away it's like oh that's there's dad just started his saw and so mowers and mo i should say motors especially maybe that's why like cars and vehicles really have a, you know super heavy sentimental although they they actually have good memories associated with them but even chainsaws and mowers have have sentimental value isn't that something oh it is i think that goes
1: everywhere I. I had as dumb as it sounds I had a socket that I lost oh. a little while ago and I was completely bummed out because it's a socket I've been using for 40 years oh, and you know no. I've had it since I was since I was young and it's just it's I've had hundreds of hours holding that socket and it's like I can't have lost it wow. and it's stupid it's a, it's a five dollar socket yeah. but I wanted. it's like that's not the point where is it so is Look it like on it not? did it, you ever find it? it no no it of course they nothing ro- drops when you drop it it never yeah. rolls into the open it, it was tucked up underneath one of my one of my boxes.
0: Wow. So so when when did you so if you were using it 40 years ago, how old were you when you started working on motors and is that kind of the inception of mopower was you were or maybe let's get to that point. So how how did you get into Yeah, how did you get into <laughs> working on equipment like this? Maybe to give us the story here.
1: Yeah. Well, I've always liked um mechanical things that you know growing up I'd like to tear things apart and I haven't always been good at it my my family still laughs that they remember me washing my spark plugs or cleaning my motorcycle spark plugs with gas and soap or uh, water and soap <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know so um, I hopefully I've progressed a little from there but um yeah I I've always kind of liked um mechanical things um, but when I was 14 I was summer Hanging out at the house, and I think I was driving my stepmom crazy, and she went to go get her lawnmower fixed. And while she was there, uh, I don't know if they had a help wanted sign or if if she was actively looking to get me out of the house, but mm-hmm. uh, she had a conversation with them. Hey, do you need some help down here? And they said yes. Yeah, and send send your son in. And so I went in there, and um, I was a grunt at a, at a little lawnmower shop at the age of age of fourteen, maybe it was fifteen, but somewhere fourteen or fifteen. And when I'd get done mopping the floors and sweeping and cleaning up after the guys, uh, if I had any extra time, I had a, um, the, the owner, the owner's son of that company kind of took me under his wing and knew I'd like, liked the stuff. And so he would, with any time I had left over, he would let me go back and he'd show me how to fix things and just kind of developed from there. Um, I've had several mentors over the years that, uh, you know, that I've, that I've gotten close to and and I'm very thankful for that. It kind of got me a a start in it, but that, that summer, summer job when I was 14 is how I initially got into it.
0: So instead of mowing yards at 14, you were repairing and sweeping up the shop and kind of fixing them up. And then obviously you didn't start mow power when you're 15, but at some point later in your life, how, how did that work? You had this background with repairs and you kind of got more serious about it or was it just a beeline from from 14 and repairing them to, to opening your first shop.
1: No, um, I can give you just kind of a five minute overview yeah, of, of kind it. of how things, yeah, how things to took place. So yeah, when, when I was uh, young, obviously I worked for a couple of years in the summers for that company, which called was called Nick's lawnmower. But um, also um, I don't remember exactly why, but because of the schedule or whatever, I I left them and then went to, to work for another company called Kay's lawnmower. Uh, and I was about 17, I think at that, at that time, 17, 18. And, um, the owner of that, that company, um, I still consider like a father still close to him. He still comes by and says hi, and I'm close to all of their family and stuff. So really cool. Wow. Um, but, uh, so worked, worked for them, uh, for, for a while. And then, uh, I worked for another company after that. I, again, a lot of this is due to scheduling. It wasn't because of sure. Of me not being loyal to a company, but scheduling and stuff. But I had to leave them. I actually served a, a mission for my church for a couple of years in, in England, and then I came back and got into college oh. and uh, worked for another company um, after after courses and stuff and threw a paper route at 3 a.m. in the morning. Then oh. went to school after that, and then in the afternoons I worked to uh, worked at another company called Mesa Precision, you know, for two or three hours in the in the afternoon and kind of saw with them I was more of a parts counter guy uh-huh. uh than than mechanic and so kind of saw different assets of of different companies how they did things and and doing different things for them just kind of got a little little bit of an eye um eye opening of of how how the industry works and and that kind of stuff and each one of those shops kind of had different fortes if you will. Oh. Um so I got after that, uh, after working on those, well, I was going to school, throwing that paper route, and I got a degree in business marketing out of ASU, and as I was wrapping that up, uh, was going to job fairs and that kind of thing, and they had a, uh, um, a job fair at at the grounds, sorry, I'm repeating myself here, but, uh, didn't really care for, for some of the opportunities and stuff that it was, th- that I saw in front of me with my degree that I was getting close to finishing yeah. and had a, had a heart to heart with my wife and said, what, what do you think about me actually opening my own repair shop? And she was, my wife has always been extremely supportive of me. And she said, great. She's actually the one that found my first location while I was going to school that we opened our first location at. Wow. Um, so, uh, it just. Kind of yeah, started there. Started it was an old uh, blockbuster building and really small, probably a thousand square feet. I didn't have any money to really start anything. I borrowed, I think, five thousand dollars from my dad, yeah, and just got enough parts and enough tools in there to kind of start, yeah, and did nothing but repairs. And uh, we grew a little bit from there. I got a couple employees and went from thousand to square feet and then we broke out a wall in that building and took another thousand square feet so we got to a couple thousand square feet and started doing a few more repairs picked up a couple product lines um, so i had something to sell and uh, kept growing it from there and we outgrew that building and uh, went just a couple miles away and so i went from about 1500 to 2000 square feet in that building to a 3500 square foot building also still in Mesa and that was, I started that in uh, 1996, October of 1996 is when I first started my first company
0: Uh
1: or the company. And then in uh, 2005, we opened our second location, that 35 uh, square foot building. And um, then outgrew that building and the building right next door to it had uh, gone up for, for sale. And so we actually took over, actually we leased it, but we took over the building next to it. So we were actually running out of two side by side buildings, which is a little bit of a logistics nightmare, but we made it work. But we went up to about 6,500 square feet. And back in about 2015, we were, (laughs) as funny as it is, we sell grass seed in the summer and it's a real high volume item. Yeah. Um, And. so we actually, I had to go out and break up a couple of fistfights in our parking lot because we oh. had people waiting on the street to get into wow. our company. Wow. And, and it was just, our parking was such a nightmare and we were busting at the seams. We had equipment strewn out, out all side. It was, <laughs> it was, it was rough. I just said, I can't do this anymore. Yep. And so that's when we actually um, started, started looking for a new building and just a mile away had a, had a two acre lot that we, that we built um, into, and we used every square inch of this two acres. We've got about 18,000 square feet, um, oh. under roof at this building still could probably use a little bit more, but we're making <laughs> it work. And so that kind of the progression and have a lot of the same employees, um, at that very first building about two years into it, it's cause he's been with me about t- uh, 23 years. A little shout out to my employee, Devin, yeah. but, um, was, went to a little cafe, uh, that, is just down the street and, uh, was sitting there and watching. And while I'm eating my breakfast, I've got all the, uh, all the stuff going on around me and the, um, the, the waitresses and the other bus boys and stuff are kind of all sitting in the corner talking and the customers are kind of getting neglected a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and one guy I'm sitting there watching and, and he's just running around trying to take care of everybody covering for everybody else that's slacking off. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, on my way out, I just handed him a business card and say, hey, if, if things don't ever work out for you here, give me a call. I'd love to talk to you. Huh. And I got a call from him a week after that, and uh, he came on with me, and he's been working with me for the last 23 years. So, one of my, hold on. One of my he, he was employees. just a customer
0: at the, at, on, on that day? He was-
1: I'm sorry, I may not... No, he was a busboy, but he was covering... I'm sorry, at the cafe. He was hustling at the cafe, but he was hustling trying to cover for... Got it. ...for everybody else that was slacking in the place. And it's like, that's the guy I need. He knew absolutely nothing. Wow. Um, It's kind of funny. When he came in... you know, one of the first days he came in, I asked him to pull, pull off a carburetor yeah. to, to teach him on that. And he walks up to me with the muffler. <laughs> and so, and so that's where we started at. Um, but he, uh, he's actually probably one of the best mechanics in the industry now. He's, he's phenomenal.
0: Wow. And,
1: yeah. Amazing. And so got, Jeez.
0: That is cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. Really cool. He must be and a special so, guy
0: though. Cause again, that's he was showing his skills even at the cafe, just hustling and solving problems though Uh, must be pretty sharp
1: absolutely i mean you can teach people things but you can't teach them to be a hustler and care and i could just see just by what he was doing that day that i need i need a guy like that and so luckily i've got 18 employees now and i've got a got an awesome handful of 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 guys that seem to really care and that makes all the difference you know the customers can tell and it makes my job way easier when when you have have people that care about what they do
0: um so when you think back, let's say over the, over your career here, um, were there parts that were especially, I'll say like, maybe not hard for you, but for me, was, was signing big leases, the thing that you had to really like transform your thinking to do, or was it hiring? Like for me, it'd, it'd be hiring employees. I'm, I have a really hard time, like committing to like somebody else's family and paycheck that's for me stressful or or maybe it's something i don't know like a big loan or were there parts of the growth of this business that for you were kind of transformational in terms of how you had to like square up to them and then i don't know about overcome but solve those problems yeah well the first
1: the the, the first locations i i just leased and so signing those leases i i already knew what you know what the business was doing and what it was capable of. And so it wasn't that wasn't stressful. Um this this last building was was a few million dollars. So it was a little little stressful signing the loan papers on that for sure. Oh man. But my yeah. my, my 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 philosophy is always no debt. So any, anything that we bring into the company, I mean, you have 30 day terms with, with a lot of the manufacturers or they might do 90 days dating or something on, on bigger programs, but I don't go into debt. Um, besides this building, the company has never had any debt. Um, I just, if I can't afford it, I don't buy it. Yeah. And so I put a lot of the money back into the company instead of taking it home to, to continually grow it. But, Mm -hmm. um, I just, I sleep better. I sleep better knowing I don't owe people.
0: Yeah. You don't don't take a big, that type of risk I should say of, of stretching yourself out so thin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But there is stress when, you know, when you've got got that many people relying on you to, to support their families. Yeah. And, and uh, just to what you were saying that, the yeah, there is some, um, a little bit of pressure there to be sure that everybody's, everybody's taken care of. So, um,
0: what, what's your industry like in terms of, there's two things I'm thinking of. Number one, like the recession of 2007, 2008, when a lot of The construction industry, like, you know, hit a brick wall for a couple of years and then even just COVID that was, that shook up the world enough. And I'm I'm thinking about equipment and landscaping where there were probably a lot of landscapers who kind of washed out and left the town for whatever reason, but maybe there was other people who started mowing their own lawn. So what, how does, how does a landscaping equipment interact with these uh, recessions and the, the economy and cycles as a whole? Um, it's actually kind of funny. You say that those years have always been
1: growth years for us. Wow. And the reason, the reason being is, is, is the start of my company was repairs still, still is the heart of my company. Having, having good technicians that do good work. And you know, that's, that is where at the end of the day, most of my bills get, get paid Uh and paid, paid the best. And that's, my particular focus in the industry is repairs. We do probably two or three times the amount of repairs than any other company in our state. Wow. Um, at, there's, there's companies that do rentals that are better and there's companies that have bigger showrooms and sales and stuff like that. But repairs is really our, our niche. Huh. But to go back to your question, um, when, when you're in a recession, people don't buy new equipment. They repair their old equipment, which is more profitable. Mm-hmm. And they also do a lot more, uh, projects. You know, if they're out mm-hmm. of work they they, they work on their homes. They do different, different things, help, help a brother, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But so, so, um, sales and rentals actually go up in a recession mm-hmm. and in, in a, uh, in a good economy, then you have a lot more sales and, and a few less repairs. But, um, so really, when we're in when a recession, our most profitable part of the company increases. Interesting. And then, and then when all things are good, that part still stays good. But then we have sales, sales yeah. as well. So um, it's we're very fortunate in that respect that we've we've actually never had a down year. We've always had had growth years.
0: That's amazing. So. Um, you've probably seen a lot of landscapers and I'll say like excited, like entrepreneurial hustlers getting started in landscaping, I'll say come and go, but I'm sure some of them mm-hmm. showed up, you know, with a pickup and a weed eater and who knows what they've grown it into. Are there people who stand out in your mind? Number one. And number two, what do you attribute the guys who really make it work? And that doesn't mean necessarily like making millions of dollars, but the guys who build a nice a career out of it and stick around, what, what, what do those guys have in common? versus the people who kind of wash out and, you know, don't come back after <laughs> buying all their gear. Right. Well, being in being in, you know, uh, owning the own uh, the
1: company for 25 years, we've seen a lot of guys come and go, but we definitely have have some of our biggest best landscapers started with me out of a out of a pickup t- truck is, you know,
0: yeah. probably
1: even before then, you know, on bikes mowing yeah. neighbors' lawns and just growing it, but we've got one, well, more than one, but one of my friends in particular started out as a teenager doing it and he has he has i don't know exactly how many but has many many crews and he's built his company into a into a multi-million dollar business i'm quite sure wow so so yeah we've definitely seen Seen growth, and there's guys that do really well with it, and there's guys that that don't. And some guys, I think, are just hardwired for business. And if they have a good good head on their shoulder and they're hustlers, they're going to succeed almost anywhere they're at. And then you know you have the other guys that that aren't wired that way that are probably never going to make it make a good go out of starting something. So it just it it really boils down to
0: the individual. Landscaping's tough because it's. It seems like it's really competitive. In other words, two guys could compete over a lawn for a contract, and it might be like a ten dollar difference. And a lot of times, the homeowner is gonna just like just cut them out for ten bucks. You know, it's it seems like like really a lot of competition. And I don't know how much loyalty there is. I guess for guys for for homeowners who are paying one guy for years, but I could imagine that these guys are in some cases having to push their you know compete, I should say, on price like almost all the time on every yard.
1: Ab- absolutely. And we, we hear that we don't do the landscaping ourselves. We just do the equipment, but we hear it all the time on, on how guys come in and yeah. under, under bid contracts or, or even homes, you know, just for a, for a few bucks less. And yeah. I, I'm sure there's loyalty among uh, the landscapers that do really nice work. Cause they're hard to find, I think. Yeah. And so if you find one of those guys, uh, I think for a few bucks, they won't, they most people wouldn't lose them over that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but but yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that aren't, aren't legal in the country that come over and do, and do work for next to nothing that you can't feed a family trying to compete against. So I think it depends on, on where people are at and what kind of stability they want and what they're willing to pay for, for better secure work.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really it. I guess the people who are willing to save a few bucks are probably, are Apparently willing to take the risk of that person just disappearing and you know not not coming back to finish or yeah. or who knows what or maybe grow into a great business. In fact, the landscaper I used for the last several years um, when I was in Arizona, oh, he's amazing. I don't even I don't know how many crews he <laughs> have, but you couldn't you couldn't pay me to use somebody else. I love this guy so much. It's been so fun watching him grow his business and from you know his truck and then I saw him with dump trailer. And then all of a sudden he had a Bobcat. And I, every time I saw him just like get ones and he's just hustling the whole time, working so hard. He only had like two fingers on one hand. I, I don't know. I don't remember what happened, but <laughs> <laughs> a little fun fact. That was before OSHA kicked oh, in man, on this. Yeah, th- yeah, exactly. Um, Hey, so speaking <laughs> of equipment, um, I feel, and I'm aware of like brands and how I feel about even like landscaping equipment, like echo and steel. And to me, like those brands mean a little bit, something different, but that's just as a consumer. Can, can you talk about the differences between some of these big companies and what it's like working with them or are are there differences or are they both just kind of big corporate, um, vendors or are there distinct cultures, uh, between some of the big, uh, brands that you represent or sell, I guess, you know, maybe represent them, but Carrie. Yeah. yeah, every every company seems to do things a little
1: bit different and kind of have a have a different uh philosophy on on how they work with, with the dealers and that kind of thing. But for the most part, they're all very good. Um Steel Steel Echo and Honda are kind of my three main brands. Uh that we we have other brands. We've got probably another 15 brands that we deal with, but they're our, they're the heart of our company. Mm-hmm. And you know, steel is steel is a, a German a family-owned company, and um, we don't we don't get a lot of information or, or feedback. I guess from from the higher ups in that company, they kind of basically say, "Hey, this is what we're doing. This is the way it's going to be." And uh-huh. and most of it makes sense and is is good most of the time. Um, and and they're a great company, make great product, but Echo. Is you know I've been back to the factory many times. I've shaken the president's hand. I've got the 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 all the heart of the business that that kind of produce and and design and everything. Huh. I've met them all, and they're they. It's cool because you can actually give them feedback. Went to a conference and mentioned a uh, a problem they were having with an ignition coil that we were seeing a ton of, huh. and like within a month saw them make a change in the entire company on 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 that i mean it just it's it was wow um kind of cool um steel is a is a bigger company than 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 echo but echo is just kind of got a all hands on deck you know we're working as a team whereas whereas like steel even though they're very good to us as dealers it's kind of a a, this is the way it's happening like it lump it leave it yeah Uh, and and Honda um Honda's kind of somewhere in the middle of that huh. <laughs> but uh Honda is a very very good company to to work with but we kind of uh we don't get a lot of interaction with any of the higher ups in that company yeah um but again at the end of the day, it's it's about making a great product for the end user at a competitive price. As a dealer, we've got to be able to make a couple bucks between wholesale and retail mm-hmm. to keep our doors open. And they're all conscious of that. And all of them are amazing at taking care of the customers if there's warranty issues and that kind of thing. And so at the end of the day, that's what that's what us as a a dealer looking for and that's what the end user wants is they want to be sure that their product's a good one and it's going to be backed up and it's a decent value for for what they're doing and and really all of our all of our companies i i would say do a very good job with that
0: i didn't realize steel was a family-owned company yeah that's kind of mind-blowing because they're really big they're yeah they're huge, especially in europe when i went i was in Germany in uh, high school my senior year, and that first week i was i did like i was an exchange student that first week I was there, I was feeling like homesickness and just culture shock and just kind of like really weird for you know first time in my life like being out of the nest in 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 a different country and I was in this really small town and driving into town for the first time there was a i don't know if it was a repair shop probably a repair shop but they had a big sign that said steel and had like a little logo of a chainsaw and I felt like this instant like connection to like like a like a grounding like base like oh there's my people (laughs) which is really funny because I might have operated a chainsaw like once before then in my life my dad had him he did he was logging for those years so I felt like that was like this amazing connection so it's just funny how these corporate uh these brands which are big companies can still feel like you know you get these like really personal connections like you said with echo and you know like the fact that they're listening and communicating makes that logo and that company have a a real human feel to it and and of course they're packed full of probably all of them amazing engineers and super bright sharp people who are making these amazing products so it is very human but it's just a funny thing i'm really i'm really like i always just enjoy paying attention to these companies that are competing and also like, you know, interacting in this, uh, interacting online and trade shows and all these places you see them. It's really something else. Yeah, absolutely. I love your, I love your new shop, how they're on those two separate walls. It's just, you walk in there and it's just, that really epitomizes it. Like how many people behind those products are putting time and energy into making the best saws they can. And then here's like where they actually like go out the door to, test and see which one sells more. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, The they thousands of hours that all those engineers yeah. and everybody have into getting them. It'd be wild if you actually could see see how oh. much how much went into each product that's that's there.
0: So you um you and I'll maybe mention this in the intro so this might be a repeat for somebody or just for people listening, but you are in a new building. It's maybe not brand new to you, but I I take it since you built it, you kind of put some time and effort into thinking about it and designing it. And I know the parking is about 10 billion times better, but what else did you do um, in this shop that maybe not everyone would know, but you and your guys really enjoy, or maybe even the customers, what else is, what else were some of the main things you wanted in this new building that you didn't have in some of your old ones?
1: Well, in the, in the first, the first locations, they were just existing buildings that we had to make work. Um, And so when we, when we were looking at this, I knew I had two acres to work with when we bought the property that the shop's on, but I was able to actually just sit down with the piece of paper and draw out exactly how I wanted everything laid up, out, you know, where, where I wanted the shop, where I wanted the receiving room, where I wanted the showroom. And, and, um, it, it just being able to completely design everything to your needs and what you've, your experience on what, what it Takes to to keep the place running efficiently Mm -hmm. was was a dream. You just just to be able to have everything flow the way that it should, not have to work. Like I say, the last building was we had a we had a fifty yard gap in between the two buildings that you had to run back and forth in between all day and stuff. Yeah. that allowed for some, some cool, we actually innovated a, a, a whole relay system on that building. Sorry, I'm getting off topic, no, but go ahead. you know, we had it in, in the second building where we kept all the repairs because the, the customers would come into our into the main building or the first building and pick up a mower. Well, we, we kind of designed a system where, um, we could, could just hit the computer and put, put the, uh, the, um, what the machine was in the, in the, uh, the ticket number on it and it would actually ring a bell over in the other building. It would, it had like a big 80 inch screen that it would pop up on with what they're looking for. And it even had a timer. So the guys knew how long it took to get out there to the customer and stuff. And so, so, you know, different, different things allow for some, some expansion and engineering and some things that we're kind of proud of doing. But, um, but as far as this building goes, just being able to lay it out. uh, I was, uh, fortunate enough to to have a little bit of time while we were going through the two year zoning process uh, to be able to uh, design the building, like I say, the way I wanted. But I was I, I incorporated about ten different building designs that I liked, um, both outside and inside, and oh. kind of took bits and pieces of of what i saw out there architecturally and 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 was able to design the design the building the layout of the parking lot and um if if you've ever been into a harley davidson shop they have a mechanics area in the back and they have windows lined up so that you can actually see see the the mechanics and and their bikes Being worked on and that it's clean and it's a nice facility and so i wanted to incorporate that so i've actually got a big glass window in the in the front front showroom that you can look back and it allows the customers to see that that their machines being taken care of in a in a clean organized facility and so a lot of different designs from a lot of different people i incorporated into the design and the functionality of it i actually traveled kind of over around the country for several different shops um that i huh. that i liked and had heard about and looked online and and got the opportunity to talk to some owners of some other shops of, why did you do this why did you do that and got some great ideas on on how to how to display inventory and and how to organize things and um you know oh, not wow. everybody's idea is your idea but but being able to to yeah piecemeal the best ideas or what I thought were the best ideas from other people's ideas was, was a great way to do it for us. Was there
0: some of those shops that were really eye opening to you? I mean, the country is so different, even in terms of like how landscapers do landscaping, you know, like it's, it's so different. Like the type when I was, when I was in Florida for the first time and I saw the types of mowers that are using in Florida, I was like, what is that thing? They like stand on them, you know, it's like all these like crazy stuff. So, um, separate from the equipment, but were there shops you went to that were really like, whoa, that's different, maybe more to do with the, I don't know, the geology or or how things grow in that area, why that made sense? Or is it kind of all repairs and and sales and more or less just, you know, the customer experience when they come in the building?
1: No, no two companies in this industry seem to be the same or do things the same way. Um, One of the companies that I went back uh, to Chicago excuse me, to Chicago, uh, there's a company called Russo's power equipment and they actually had, had an old converted lumber mill, oh. uh, that they, that they built their shop out of an absolutely beautiful place. And while I was there, they were bringing in semi loads of salt. like, what are you bringing in all that salt for? Well, oh. all the, you know, we we're in Arizona, we don't have snow right? or not where we're at in Arizona anyways. Right. And so, yeah, they, they parted their, their slow season cause you're not using a lawnmower, right. you know, they're using snow blowers, but a big part of their, their business was they sold 50 salt. pound bags of salt to, to, to people and municipalities to, huh. to keep the roads unicy or de-ice yeah. them. And so just, just seeing what you, what you've got to do to, or what different shops do to, to keep the doors open. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned it a little bit ago, but in the, uh, in the, uh, Arizona, you have two different types of lawn. You have a summer lawn that's perennial. It'll come back every year. Um, But you also have a winter lawn that will burn off in the summer. So if you want a pretty green lawn in Arizona, you got to plant a winter lawn every year. Uh And um, so we, we got into initially the you have a machine called a dethatcher, which is a motorized rake that kind of scrapes and gets the the ground prep for overseeding. So we got into renting those. And then we had people saying, well, do you have grass seed? No, but we could do that. And so, um, over the last, I would say 17, 18 years, we've been selling grass seed and we sold this last year, we sold about 450,000 pounds of grass seed in October. So, I mean, it's, you talk to shops back East and <laughs> yeah. they're like, what are you talking I'm about? Like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so there's, there's definitely niches that I think you have to cater to. Um, some, some of the shops that are near, near, uh, near lakes and stuff, they'll get into outboard power equipment yeah. and, and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, and, and boat repairs and, Some of the shops like to work on these little go peds or, or bikes, not, not our,
0: not our thing, but yeah, you're right though. Like it's like where you're located. If you're, like you said, if you're near a lake or a big trail system or or something, then there may be, uh, as much small engine repair demand for some of those items as there is for, you know, dirt bikes or something, you know, it could be the same type of, um, um, shop there. So here's a question for you. Um, you you have kind of an interesting background here because you you started the business young. You also went to college and under understand like what that can offer um, a person. Although you you didn't necessarily use your degree in um, maybe the way you thought when you started school. I think you told me maybe before it was a, a marketing degree. Is that right?
1: Yeah, business marketing. So was I what
0: my it, is in. I'm curious wh- how do you advise? I'm sure you have young people asking you from time to time, or maybe your kids, you know, about college whether they should start working, whether they should open a business. What's your kind of default? You've, you've kind of done all, all of these things and you might, what's your perspective on, on a young kid who's ambitious? Um, Do you generally point them towards college or do you wait till you get to know the kid or how do you answer that? If we got someone listening who's struggling with that, what, what would you tell them? Well, I would give
1: them the advice that my father gave me as I was uh, starting college because I was not sure what I wanted to do. And he, looked me in the eye and said, I don't care if you're a janitor, if you're a bank CEO, the only thing I request is that you do something that you love. And, um, he goes, if you do that, kind of the cards will fall in place and you'll have the desire as well as, you know, that's the, the, what your career is, is where you spend most of your, your time. And so if you don't love it, it makes, it makes being successful at it hard. Yeah. And so that was great advice. And, um, I don't know if there's a, there's a direct answer to your question of, of how there's not a one size fits all answer to that question, but you know, if you, if you have a desire in a field that there's an opportunity for, you know, chase those dreams. I've got, my kids are actually going to dental school. Well, I've got one son that's in dental school and a second one that's thinking about it. So they're, they're. Their love after sharpening enough lawnmower blades in my shop was, they, <laughs> yeah. I think they figured out that, that maybe this wasn't for them. And that's, yeah. I'm totally good with that. It's, it's, everybody's got to chase their own dreams. Yeah. Um, but you do have to work hard for it. Uh, you, you know,
0: you can't wait for it just to fall in your lap. You mentioned about when you were visiting and looking at some of these shops, like taking a mm-hmm. part and a piece from each one. And someone mentioned that to me earlier in my career, I was working in real estate and I wanted to do deals. And I was kind of, shadowing this guy for a weekend and he gave me he told me something like that he's like look at I'm you're not going to want to do everything I do exactly but I, there might be one or two things that that I'm doing that you really like and he kind of spelled that out kind of like how you did although not not related to a building but just in in, a, in an approach to business taking and leaving you know the things you like from certain people and I, th- I really think that's like there is so much to that you know it's there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to that to that question or any of these but when you meet somebody or or even just hear from somebody who's doing something that you kind of can respect and like there's almost always a piece or part or something from that person situation that you can take and be like I'm doing it you know the way Todd did in this setting and whatever that may be and then apply it to your own life so I think that's I think that's really great and like said, yeah. yeah. I mean dude, if you're, you love if, it if,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you do exactly what the, the, the other guy's doing, what's your niche? Yes. So, I mean, you've got to, you've got to find something that's, that's filling a need that's not already being met or that you can do it better. If it is already being done, do it better, do it different. Um, you know, and so that's, that's my, like I mentioned before, my niche is in in the repairs. I really focus on that. Um, and I, and I personally feel we're one of the best repair shops around. Um, and, There's, there's, I do rental as well and there's, there's wonderful rental shops and rental really isn't my forte, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a niche that works well, but there's other companies that quite frankly do rental better than we do. Mm -hmm. But, um, we try to be competitive on it, but that's again, not the heart of the business. Yeah. Um, there's other, there's other companies that have even bigger showrooms than ours, but even though I couldn't build mine, maybe as big as some of the, some of the other companies, my focus was making it nicer. Yeah. So, and we get, we get our sales reps that come in that, that travel the country and almost without fail, this is the nicest shop I've ever been in. Yeah. So that's, that's cool when you get somebody that travels the industry and says, this is one of the nicest shops I've ever been it's in. A, so it's kind of It's, kinda, kinda it's cool.
0: impressive to say the least. It's kind of like, it's, it's like, it's unexpected when you walk in to, it, it really hits you when you just see all this equipment laid out and polished. It's really, um, it's really impressive. Hey, and speaking of equipment, um, what has been the impact with COVID and all these supply shortages? Are you guys short? Because when I was at your shop, there was there was mowers and equipment everywhere. It didn't look like there were shortages, but maybe maybe that's like sleight of hand or, or what's what's actually going on. <laughs> that is that is a little bit of a
1: magician trick that we're playing. Yes, we are short, um, but instead of having having ten different skus of of a particular product, we have three skus of it. Huh. But we have a bunch of those because we can get those. So we don't, have the, we don't have the width of inventory that we'd like to have, but we just stock a lot of okay. them. So in, in a spot where we may have, may have had three different models, we've got one model three times there, got it. if that makes yeah, sense. So, yeah. so there, are, there are definitely models and, and, and units that are very difficult to get right why now. Why is
0: that? What, what's, why are, what's making those ones hard to get? Do you have any idea? Or which models? Um, is it like the pro stuff that's hard to get? Or is it something more obscure?
1: Uh, you know what? There's no real rhyme or reason. Because, I mean, from a manufacturing standpoint, you think this model should be just as easy to make as this model. Yeah. Um, and yet, there are certain models that have been on back order forever. Huh. Um, and I, there's... You know, it's it's industry wide. You you hear everybody you go in and try to buy buy things these days, and half the people say, Well, I can't get it, right. especially if it's specialty. Yeah. I tried to buy I tried to buy some tires for a dune buggy <laughs> a couple days ago. And they said, Yeah, you can't get tires for those. We've had those on back order for eight months right now. I, I, I yeah, mean wow, for, geez. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. So it's not oh. just our not just our business and um, I certainly the the beginning of it started with COVID. Yeah. And then I don't know if it was a labor or a product issue, but then everything started getting backed up in the ports. And then there wasn't enough trucks and truckers to to once things did land to get them to us. And now, you know, we're hearing things as far as materials, the the manufacturers can't get enough of whatever widget it is that they, yeah. they make a certain component out of. We just heard, we just heard, uh, last week that, uh, one of the, one of the factories that makes the, uh, um, wiring harnesses for steel was in Ukraine and, oh, wow. and it's probably no more. So wow. I, I think it's just a, I think it's just a combination, but I think it did start with COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not getting into the political thing at all, but I think, I think politics plays a big portion on where energies and programs and incentives and yeah, well, taxes and stuff are being pointed as well. Yeah, no doubt. So, if
0: there was one of those companies that had to shut down due to lockdowns because it wasn't essential, you said wiring harness. That's as an example, maybe, maybe there was a wiring harness company in the U S and they're like, that's we can live without those. And they shut down as not essential. Fair enough. But no surprise when two years later, there's a shortage of wiring harnesses and, and the, uh, and some empty shelves, I guess, uh, in your shop.
1: Yep. Oh, that's so yeah. there's. Yeah, And it's, I, I wish I had an answer for that even when we ask our suppliers and stuff. So yeah. why is there, well, we don't know. They're just all in back order.
0: <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so even
1: they don't seem to always know why, why they're not available, at least our sales reps.
0: And you know, but, it's easy to think I've been watching on YouTube, these videos lately with my kids of, of uh, like how it's made, where there's machines making, even kind of bland products like um, like PVC pipe or steel pipe, you know, things that we see all the time. Or I, last night we watched one about making metal roofing and I actually just ordered some metal roofing. And when I was placing the order, you know, they asked me these questions like, okay, which profile do you want and which color? And I just kind of picked it like as if I was, you know, ordering what kind of bagel I wanted, like what's the difference, you know? But then you watch that video and you realize I was looking at it like, oh, geez, if I pick whichever pattern it's a completely separate machine and a whole different set of tooling up that has to happen and so it's easy to think like with the saws on your shelf you know like these ones are available why can't they just make those ones well it's probably complicated you know maybe they have a whole building that just makes that one saw start to end and then the other saws get made in five different buildings from parts and pieces nothing's as simple as it first appears especially when it's like clean on a shelf and kind of, um, just looks like somebody just, all you got to do is what you just take it off the delivery truck. What's the problem? Just, where's that truck? (laughs) It came came from somewhere. it's it's just hard to believe. I think Americans in
1: general aren't used to being saying no. You can't have that. Yeah, and we're just so we're so accustomed to being able to go down and get it, get whatever we want whenever we want. And it's a, it's a little bit of an eye opener. It's be a little bit of a reality check. It's for It's wild. Some of us. And
0: I'm thinking about my kids, where we like order so much on Amazon, things just show up. Like literally anything we kind of need, we can usually have it so quickly. And when I was a kid, people would say money doesn't grow on trees, and I remember thinking about that. Oh, that'd be interesting if things go on trees. But this world we live in now where things kind of magically show up isn't so much different, at least from like a kid's point of view, where things kind of just show up and they're almost always like perfect, you know, because you can research exactly what you need. But that is not normal. (laughs) That's there. That's. Right, right. We I think we've all been a little bit spoiled in years past. So. Spoiled is, Maybe. is the word. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Thank you for coming on our show here and for the listeners. I'm going to on the YouTube version of this, I'm going to roll some video that I took when I was in your shop a few weeks ago. And Love that. this might be a redundant story for the listeners, but I'll tell you cuz we haven't I haven't shared this with you but when I was in Arizona a few weeks ago, I was going to your old location cuz I was in the I'm in the market. Actually, I bought it now. I bought one of these Combi um weed eater units and I was trying to decide whether to get the Combi or the regular and I was going to go talk to one of your guys there and get some advice. And I was blown away cuz a 1 mile before I got to Mopower, the new Mopower was over here. I didn't know that happened. I I guess it must have happened just after I left is when it started, but Anyways, I walked in and my mind was really blown. And so I got I I had my camera gear with me. I was doing some other filming. So I filmed a little bit there. And all of these conversations we've had about your shop, there's going to be some footage in the YouTube video. So if you're just listening in your car, I really recommend you go watch that. It's it's really something. And I think my favorite part is the parking lot. I I mean, truly, it is just a thing to (laughs) behold. It is. I can't imagine how happy your long-term landscaping customers are there was like two spots for trailers before, you know, and I remember sometimes I would even have a trailer and I just had to drive by nowhere to park. I'm not going there. So you must have some happy customers having solved that parking.
1: Oh, for sure. We, uh, we actually, with the parking alone, we had customers that we hadn't seen for a few years started coming back. They just said, yeah, we couldn't deal with your parking anymore at the other place. It was, it was such a, so, so chaotic that, yeah, it's, uh, it, I I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm uh, offended or not. that The most impressive yeah. part of my business is my parking lot, but that's all right. No, it's, no, it's I'm just kidding. It, but it, but it, no, it, it is it is amazing the ease of getting in and out. What that does for people, so maybe, and I don't have to break up any fistfights yeah. in my parking lot
0: anymore, which is a bonus for us. Maybe this would be the last question I'll ask you. Now that you've gone through this development process, and you said there was a two-year rezoning. St- Process, which which I personally know a lot about because I did a development in Mesa. It was so hard. I, we, were, my wife and I, were literally pulling our hair out and like just crying. It was so hard, and that may not have been your experience, but the, the the property we were proposing, actually, we proposed several properties over the years, and they pretty much never liked them. But in any case, um, you decided to build in this case rather than move into uh, an existing building. So. Knowing what you know now, would you do things different or what advice would you give for some business owner who's kind of weighing, they need that they've outgrown their space. Should they build, should they buy? What do you know now about that whole process that you did not know, you know, three or four years ago? Um...
1: Well, it's been almost seven years now. In, in the in oh, and then getting the, this
0: place built in the new oh, but geez, okay. Well, then yeah, two thousand fifteen.
1: Definitely... I bought the I bought the lot, but then it took took two years to get the zoning part of it actually done, and then wow, and then a couple years to to build. So yeah, it was a, it was kind of a big deal. Actually, it may have been a little bit longer than that. Oh but, wow, I didn't realize. Um, wow, that's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, it, it was going on. A while. We left in Arizona in two thousand nineteen, so you were deep in the process by that point. It just takes is behind the scenes i guess so
1: yeah well when we first uh we we wanted to stay in mesa and we're actually on the way to the dump which is a huge bonus for our business because landscapers have to go up and down this road all day long so we knew we wanted to keep it on on the on the path to the dump and there were very few spots that were available so we did have this two acre lot that we knew of and uh the problem was it was zoned uh not commercially. And cities now, if you're not familiar with the zoning thing, if you've got a business, they want you on a corner. They don't want you in the middle of, you know, main streets. And so this one's right smack dab in the middle and it's surrounded by, by homes. And so also not ideal for, for commercial. So when I went in and, and, uh, proposed this to the city, um, you know, sat in a, sat in a room with a kind of schedule an appointment and they, all the different entities Mm -hmm. meet whether it's uh whether it's utilities or um the uh they've got all sorts of different people over over logistics of the roads and all the stuff and pretty much all of them said no. <laughs> they pretty much laughed at me when I proposed to yeah. them what I wanted to do. Yeah, it's just zoned wrong. And uh it did a little more research and stuff on it and found out that there had been two other other people wanting to build on this site. Um, and both of them were homes. One was an apartment and one was, I forget, is it H2 housing or something low, low income housing and all the neighbors threw a fit about it yeah. saying, no, we don't want that. We don't want that here. And so, um, I started thinking maybe, maybe the neighbors, you know, the, the neighborhood might back me up on this. So I actually went and knocked on every door that surrounded the building, um, I don't know how many, but it was a lot of a lot of doors and got names and phone numbers and and told them what I was doing, most of them, because my old shop was only a mile away. Yeah. Knew the company and most of them were already customers. And so got a hundred percent um backup from from the the people in the neighborhood saying, saying, yeah, that's a much better alternative for us. We'd love to have you here. Yeah. And so I actually got a got a list of all of these people that had bitterly opposed the other two projects that they tried to put here. Mm. And I got with the, uh, the city council member um, or city councilman that's over our area, which happened to be kind of a friend and said, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And so he actually went in with all of these people, um, all their names and stuff saying, Hey, this isn't, this is a, something that we can put on this lot that the neighbors aren't opposed to. And that's actually what changed everything. I mean, it was still hard. There were still, still parts of the city that were hard to, to keep happy. But, um, long and short is it was a story of persistence. If I would have just initially taken the no that they gave me, I would have never been able to build here, but, um, you know, just kind of taking it another angle and working with the city. There's several things on the design that I had to change to keep them happy that I, would have rather done differently, but at the at the end of the day, the city had had open ears to to listen to to change a little bit and flex yeah since it made made sense, and the neighborhood supported me so it was uh we have a lot of a lot of people to be thankful for in both the city and and the neighborhood i mean the city of Mesa has been awesome to us as far as as customers and supporting the business
0: that's amazing well, and like you said the the neighbor's got to be pretty happy because. You, that's not you don't want to roll those dice too many times of like who's going to move in here because um, it's like grass is always green you know like you said uh, 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 I can't even think of like a really obnoxious business maybe like a. <laughs> <laughs> like a granite fabrication shop. <laughs> I say that because I'm doing a video about a granite shop. It's pretty noisy. It's industrial, so it, sure. But but apartments are noisy but also. Shooting, shooting range. Yeah, shooting range. But but apartments <laughs> cover every day where there's like a lot of people living. That's also tough because you might have might be a great a community, but if there happens to be one like you know kind of frat house college tenant who's partying every night. Well, that's a bummer if you live across the street. So uh, a, a lawnmower shop uh, would probably be pretty pretty decent for those people who share the, the border with you guys. Well, hey, thanks so much for Absolutely. coming. Um, I, I, I love your business. I'm a huge fan, been a longtime customer, and always puts a smile on my face going in there. I love everything about it, especially the name. I don't know who came up with it, but it, <laughs> it's the best name for a shop, period, for a lawnmower shop. I-
1: I, I grew up watching, uh, tool time. So okay. if you're familiar with that show, his, his motto was everything needs more power. Amazing. And his, his name on the show, um, was, uh, Tim, Tim Taylor. My name happens to be Todd Taylor. And so, so it was, uh, power. It, fin- friends call me Todd, the tool man, Taylor, you know? <laughs> and so him was, he was Tim, the tool man, Taylor. Got it. And, uh, and so it was a pretty easy change to go from mo- more power to Mo power. So Amazing. people still think I'm a veterinarian. Sometimes <laughs> my license plate says Mo power. Why is it Mao power?
0: <laughs> so that's awesome. They wouldn't want me operating on their cat though. It would be ugly. No, it would, it would not be the, it would not be the best <laughs> use of your time. We'll put it that way. All right. Well, Hey, have a great day. Thanks so much. We'll link to um, your website. If you have any other social media accounts, let me know. We'll put them in there as well. So people can take a look. at this and uh, keep doing your thing. And I hope a lot of up and coming landscapers, uh, you know, get the courage to dig in you separate from equipment, but it's just the best, not, maybe not the best, but it's such a quintessential and great business. You can start it when you're a kid, you can grow it as big as you want. You learn so much about interact, about billing and customers and working hard and just, it's just the best. I, I love it as an entry point. My, my son just mowed our yard for the first time this last week. And he's, he loves it. He's excited about it. It made me think when I, when I first started mowing, how much I love everything about it. So I'm a fan and, uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to speak with us and we'll do it again one of these days. I appreciate it, Nate. Thank you.